0: Section 6 of The Girl with the Golden Eyes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. The Girl with the Golden Eyes by Honoré de Balzac. Translated by Ellen Marriage. Section 6 At the hour mentioned. Henri was on the boulevard, saw the carriage, and gave the counter word to a man who looked to him like the mulatto. Hearing the word, the man opened the door and quickly let down the step. Henri was so rapidly carried through Paris, and his thoughts left him so little capacity to pay attention to the streets through which he passed that he did not know where the carriage stopped. The mulatto let him into a house, the staircase of which was quite close to the entrance. This staircase was dark, as was also the landing upon which Henri was obliged to wait, while the mulatto was opening the door of a damp apartment, fetid and unlit, the chambers of which, barely illuminated by the candle which his guide found in the antechamber seemed to him empty and ill-furnished like those of a house the inhabitants of which are away he recognized the sensation which he had experienced from the perusal of one of those romances of Anne Radcliffe, in which the hero traverses the cold, sombre, and uninhabited saloons of some sad and desert spot. At last the mulatto opened the door of a salon. The condition of the old furniture, and the dilapidated curtains with which the room was adorned, gave it the air of the reception-room of a house of ill fame there was the same pretension to elegance and the same collection of things in bad taste of dust and dirt upon a sofa covered with red utrecht velvet by the side of a smoking hearth the fire of which was buried in ashes sat an old poorly dressed woman her head capped by one of those turbans which english women of a certain age have invented and which would have a mighty success in china where the artist's ideal is the monstrous the room the old woman the cold hearth all would have chilled love to death had not paquita been there upon an ottoman in a loose voluptuous wrapper free to scatter her gaze of gold and flame free to show her arched foot free of her luminous movements this first interview with what every rendezvous must be between persons of passionate disposition, who have stepped over a wide distance quickly, who desire each other ardently, and who nevertheless do not know each other. It is impossible that at first there should not occur certain discordant notes in the situation, which is embarrassing until the moment when two souls find themselves in unison if desire gives a man boldness and disposes him to lay restraint aside the mistress under pain of ceasing to be woman however great may be her love is afraid of arriving at the end so promptly and face to face with the necessity of giving herself, which to many women is equivalent to a fall into an abyss, at the bottom of which they know not what they shall find. The involuntary coldness of the woman contrasts with her confessed passion, and necessarily reacts upon the most passionate lover. Thus ideas, which often float around souls like vapours, determine in them a sort of temporary malady. In the sweet journey which two beings undertake through the fair domains of love, this moment is like a wasteland to be traversed, a land without a tree alternatively damp and warm full of scorching sand traversed by marshes which leads to smiling groves clad with roses where love and his retinue of pleasures disport themselves on carpets of soft verdure often the witty man finds himself afflicted with a foolish laugh which is his only answer to everything his wit is as it were suffocated beneath the icy pressure of his desires it would not be impossible for two beings of equal beauty intelligence and passion To utter at first nothing but the most silly commonplaces, until chance, a word, the tremor of a certain glance, the communication of a spark, should have brought them to the happy transition which leads to that flowery way in which one does not walk, but where one sways, and at the same time, does not lapse. Such a state of mind is always in proportion with the violence of the feeling. Two creatures who love one another weakly feel nothing similar. The effect of this crisis can even be compared with that which is produced by the glow of a clear sky. Nature, at the first view appears to be covered with a gauze veil. The azure of the firmament seems black, the intensity of light is like darkness. With Henri, as with the Spanish girl, there was an equal intensity of feeling, and that law of statics, in virtue of which two identical forces cancel each other might have been true also in the moral order, and the embarrassment of the moment was singularly increased by the presence of the old hag. Love takes pleasure or fright at all. All has meaning for it, everything is an omen of happiness or sorrow for it. This decrepit woman was there like a suggestion of catastrophe, and represented the horrid fish's tail with which the allegorical geniuses of Greece have terminated their chimeras and sirens, whose figures, like all passions, are so seductive, so deceptive. Although Henri was not a free-thinker, the phrase is always a mockery. But a man of extraordinary power, a man as great as a man can be without faith, the conjunction struck him. Moreover the strongest men are naturally the most impressionable, and consequently the most superstitious if indeed one may call superstition the prejudice of the first thoughts, which without doubt is the appreciation of the result in causes hidden to other eyes, but perceptible to their own. The Spanish girl profited by this moment of stupefaction to let herself fall into the ecstasy of that infinite adoration which seizes the heart of a woman when she truly loves, and finds herself in the presence of an idol for whom she has vainly longed. Her eyes were all joy, all happiness, and sparks flew from them she was under the charm and fearlessly intoxicated herself with a felicity of which she had dreamed long she seemed then so marvellously beautiful to henri that all this phantasmagoria of rags and old age, of worn red drapery, and of the green mats in front of the armchairs, the ill washed red tiles, all this sick and dilapidated luxury disappeared. The room seemed lit up and it was only through a cloud that one could see the fearful harpy fixed and dumb on her red sofa her yellow eyes betraying the servile sentiments inspired by misfortune or caused by some vice beneath whose servitude one has fallen as beneath a tyrant who brutalizes one with the flagellations of his despotism her eyes had the cold glitter of a caged tiger knowing his impotence and being compelled to swallow his rage of destruction who is that woman said henri to paquita but paquita did not answer she made a sign that she understood no french and asked henri if he spoke english de marsay repeated his question in english she is the only woman in whom i can confide although she has sold me already said paquita tranquilly my dear adolphe she is my mother a slave bought in georgia for her rare beauty little enough of which remains to-day she only speaks her native tongue the attitude of this woman and her eagerness to guess from the gestures of her daughter and henri what was passing between them were suddenly explained to the young man and this explanation put him at his ease paquita he said are we never to be free then never she said with an air of sadness even now we have but a few days before us she lowered her eyes looked at and counted with her right hand on the fingers of her left revealing so the most beautiful hands which henri had ever seen one two three she counted up to twelve yes she said we have twelve days and after after she said showing the absorption of a weak woman before the executioner's axe and slain in advance as it were by a fear which stripped her of that magnificent energy which nature seemed to have bestowed upon her only to aggrandize pleasure and convert the most vulgar delights into endless poems after she repeated her eyes took a fixed stare She seemed to contemplate a threatening object far away. "'I do not know,' she said. "'This girl is mad,' said Henri to himself, falling into strange reflections. Paquita appeared to him occupied by something which was not himself like a woman constrained equally by remorse and passion. Perhaps she had in her heart another love which she alternately remembered and forgot. In a moment Henri was assailed by a thousand contradictory thoughts. This girl became a mystery for him but as he contemplated her with the scientific attention of the blasé man, famished for new pleasures, like that eastern king who asked that a pleasure should be created for him, a horrible thirst with which great souls are seized henri recognized in paquita the richest organization that nature had ever deigned to compose for love the presumptive play of this machinery setting aside the soul would have frightened any other man than henri but he was fascinated by that rich harvest of promised pleasures by that constant variety in happiness the dream of every man and the desire of every loving woman too he was infuriated by the infinite rendered palpable and transported into the most excessive raptures of which the creature is capable all that he saw in this girl more distinctly than he had yet seen it for she let herself be viewed complacently happy to be admired the admiration of de marsay became a secret fury and he unveiled her completely throwing a glance at her which the Spaniard understood as though she had been used to receive such. "'If you are not to be mine, mine only, I will kill you,' he cried. Hearing this speech, Paquita covered her face in her hands, and cried naively, "'Holy Virgin, what have I brought upon myself?' she rose flung herself down upon the red sofa and buried her head in the rags which covered the bosom of her mother and wept there the old woman received her daughter without issuing from the state of immobility or displaying any emotion the mother possessed in the highest degree that gravity of savage races the impassiveness of a statue upon which all remarks are lost did she or did she not love her daughter beneath that mask every human emotion might brood good and evil and from this creature all might be expected her gaze passed slowly from her daughter's beautiful hair which covered her like a mantle to the face of henri which she considered with an indescribable curiosity she seemed to ask by what fatality he was there from what caprice nature had made so seductive a man. "'These women are making sport of me,' said Henri to himself. At that moment Paquita raised her head, cast at him one of those looks which reach the very soul and consume it so beautiful seemed she that he swore he would possess such a treasure of beauty my paquita be mine wouldst thou kill me she said fearfully palpitating and anxious but drawn towards him by an inexplicable force kill thee i he said smiling paquita uttered a cry of alarm said a word to the old woman who authoritatively seized henri's hand and that of her daughter she gazed at them for a long time and then released them wagging her head in a fashion horribly significant be mine this evening this moment follow me do not leave me it must be paquita dost thou love me come in a moment he had poured out a thousand foolish words to her with the rapidity of a torrent coursing between the rocks and repeating the same sound in a thousand different forms it is the same voice said paquita in a melancholy voice which de marsay could not overhear and the same ardour she added so be it yes she said with an abandonment of passion which no words can describe yes but not to-night to-night Adolphe, i gave too little opium to la concha she might wake up and i should be lost at this moment the whole household believes me to be asleep in my room in two days be at the same spot Say the same word to the same man. That man is my foster-father. Cristemio worships me, and would die in torments for me, before they could extract one word against me from him. Farewell, she said, seizing Henri by the waist, and twining round him like a serpent she pressed him on every side at once lifted her head to his and offered him her lips then snatched a kiss which filled them both with such a dizziness that it seemed to henri as though the earth opened and paquita cried enough depart in a voice which told how little she was mistress of herself. But she clung to him still, still crying, Depart, and brought him slowly to the staircase. There the mulatto, whose white eyes lit up at the sight of Paquita, took the torch from the hands of his idol, and conducted Henri to the street he left the light under the arch opened the door put henri into the carriage and set him down on the boulevard des italiens with marvellous rapidity it was as though the horses had hell-fire in their veins the scene was like a dream to de marsay but one of those dreams which even when they fade away leave a feeling of supernatural voluptuousness which a man runs after for the remainder of his life a single kiss had been enough never had rendezvous been spent in a manner more decorous or chaste or perhaps more coldly in a spot of which the surroundings were more gruesome, in presence of a more hideous divinity. For the mother had remained in Henri's imagination like some infernal, cowering thing, cadaverous, monstrous, savagely ferocious, which the imagination of poets and painters had not yet conceived. In effect, no rendezvous had ever irritated his senses more, revealed more audacious pleasures, or better aroused love from its centre, to shed itself around him like an atmosphere. There was something sombre, mysterious, sweet, tender constrained and expansive an intermingling of the awful and the celestial of paradise and hell which made de marsay like a drunken man he was no longer himself and he was withal great enough to be able to resist the intoxication of pleasure. In order to render his conduct intelligible in the catastrophe of this story, it is needful to explain how his soul had broadened at an age when young men generally belittle themselves in their relations with women or in too much occupation with them its growth was due to a concurrence of secret circumstances which invested him with a vast and unsuspected power this young man held in his hand a sceptre more powerful than that of modern kings almost all of whom are curbed in their least wishes by the laws de marsay exercised the autocratic power of an oriental despot but this power so stupidly put into execution in asia by brutish men was increased tenfold by its conjunction with European intelligence, with French wit, the most subtle, the keenest of all intellectual instruments. Henri could do what he would in the interests of his pleasures and vanities this invisible action upon the social world had invested him with a real but secret majesty without emphasis and deriving from himself he had not the opinion which louis xiv could have of himself but that which the proudest of the caliphs the pharaohs the xerxes who held themselves to be of divine origin had of themselves when they imitated god and veiled themselves from their subjects under the pretext that their looks dealt forth death thus without any remorse at being at once the judge and the accuser de marsay coldly condemned to death the man or the woman who had seriously offended him although often pronounced almost lightly the verdict was irrevocable an error was a misfortune similar to that which a thunderbolt causes when it falls upon a smiling parisienne in some hackney coach instead of crushing the old coachman who is driving her to a rendezvous thus the bitter and profound sarcasm which distinguished the young man's conversation usually tended to frighten people no one was anxious to put him out Women are prodigiously fond of those persons who call themselves Pashas, and who are, as it were, accompanied by lions and executioners, and who walk in a panoply of terror. The result, in the case of such men, is a security of action, a certitude of power, a pride of gaze a leonine consciousness which makes women realize the type of strength of which they all dream such was de marsay happy for the moment with his future he grew young and pliable and thought of nothing but love as he went to bed he dreamed of the girl with the golden eyes, as the young and passionate can dream. His dreams were monstrous images, unattainable extravagances, full of light, revealing invisible worlds, yet in a manner always incomplete, for an intervening veil Changes the conditions of vision. End of section six. Recording by Martin Geeson, in Hazelmere, Surrey.